good to be with you again at, at Fine Road. Uh, it's lovely to be here. I was saying to somebody earlier, I don't know what the weather's doing at the moment. Sometimes it's warm, sometimes it's cold. But when we come together in God's presence, there's always the warmth of the sun that is blessing our hearts. Do you have a good Easter? Yeah, two of you did, that's great, yeah. That's good, that's good. In my opinion, there's something just almost heavenly about Easter eggs. There really is. There's something wonderful uh, about them. Even though you, you pay far more in terms of grams per pound that you're paying for them, I don't know, the way they're made is just amazing. I don't know about you, this divides the room, but I'm somebody that likes my chocolate from the fridge. And if somebody don't like that, my wife hates it from the fridge. She likes it in the fridge because it means she eats less of it, but, and it means I eat more of her chocolate, but I like it from the fridge. And if you get an Easter egg out of the fridge, and it, and it just cracks, and there's something about it, it tastes different than the normal chocolate. Yes, you pay about four times the price for a 90-gram egg and you would a 90-gram bar of chocolate, but there is something wonderful about it. In our house, uh, my wife and I, we normally get each other an Easter egg, and then with a 14 and an 11-year-old, they seem to be inundated with chocolate Easter eggs, which they never, ever seem to complain about. <laughs> We've got Sunday lunch when we get home. They'll complain about how much vegetables are on their plate, but they never, ever seem to complain that they've got too... I've never heard a child say, Oh, Mum, Dad, I've got too many Easter eggs uh, this year. But they do say, I've got too many green beans on my plate. But we buy them a couple of eggs. Grandparents and aunties buy them an egg, and then friends get them an egg, and this year... They were so spoiled, I mean blessed, by the number of eggs that they received. And two weeks on from Easter Sunday, with an Easter holiday in between that as well, they still have some chocolate eggs left. They're clearly no children of mine. But anyway, <laughs> but the kids having Easter eggs still left shows me two things. One, uh, they got far too many Easter eggs. And they should each gift one to their dad. I can tell you which one I want, because on top of the, in the dining room, on top of the dresser. But in all seriousness, while we're two weeks on from Easter Sunday, while Easter, in one sense, is finished, Jesus is still at work. The work of Easter continues. Or to put it another way, the season of Easter has only just begun. As we heard from our Bible reading this morning, Jesus' ministry didn't end with his death and resurrection. And we heard from 1 Corinthians 15 how Paul mentions Jesus appearing uh, to Peter, to the disciples, to more than 500 people, to James and to others who also called apostles, that is, people commissioned by Jesus to do his work, followers of Jesus, other than the twelve disciples. That's after Jesus has risen from the dead. He continues to carry on his work. And this morning, I want us to think about four accounts from the, the Gospels of, of Jesus visiting people after he had risen from the dead. 
And I want us to, to see how Jesus is still at work and relate that to our own lives. Because the truth is, for many things in life, the impact, both good and bad, continues long after the event happened, doesn't it? The 13th of April, so a week or so ago, just passed, was the anniversary of my dad's death. My dad died 38 years ago in 1985. I messaged my sister, as I always do on, on that day. We do speak to each other other than just that day. But I messaged her to let her know that I was thinking of her. And I said, I can't quite believe it's 38 years. And then I put in brackets, we don't look old enough, do we? <laughs> well, she might, because she's two years and nine months older than me, and I keep reminding her, it's not just she's two or three years, she's two years and nine months older than me. But 38 years on, way past the event of that Saturday evening, 13th of April 1985, it still impacts my life. I would go further and to say that it has had a deep role to play in making me who I am. In that God has used that experience in my life to be part of what has shaped me into the person that he wanted me and still wants me to be. And so the impact continues. And so it gives me empathy with others who experience grief, especially those who lose uh, family members at a young age. It's helped me see that our time here on earth really is short, and so we need to be mindful how we speak and treat each other. And no, I don't always get that one right. My wife and kids will testify to that one. It has shown me that we live in a fallen world where illness plays a part, but with God, he's overcome that. I could go on, but, but just to say that this experience has shown me so much of who God is, especially as Father. And he has done so much in my life by showing me who he is and who I truly am all through that experience 38 years ago. And he continues to do so. I could point to other instances. My marriage, my children being born, a lovely holiday, a, a celebration time as experiences in my life where the impact continued and in some instances continues long after that event. I'm sure we can all think of situations in life where the impact is felt long after the event. It can be something as simple as a good night out with friends. Or a good meal around the table with some friends where you have just laughed and laughed. And so much so that the following day you're on your own and you find yourself laughing as you think of what happened the night before. If that's never happened to you, you need to get out more. You really, you need to get better friends, you know, that make you chuckle. There's something about it, something was said, something happened the evening before and 24 hours later you find yourself, for no reason, just laughing about it. Because the impact about it, of it, continues long after the event. And so for us here today, Easter isn't over. It has nothing to do with Easter eggs still uh, there to eat. 
Does anybody have Easter eggs still to eat? You do? Well done. Some of you are just too greedy, aren't you? <laughs> but you know, we can get to the end of Easter Sunday and we can look back and we think that was a great Easter and then we kind of put it in a box until next year. My son said to me, the thing that I don't like about Easter being over, and I was expecting then some great spiritual, faith-filled revelation from my 11-year-old boy, because he's a deep thinker. He said, Dad, the thing I don't like about Easter being over, I said, yes. He said, is that you can't buy Cadbury's cream eggs in the shops. (laughs) (laughs) And he's right. And there's something sad about that on two levels. One, cream eggs are wonderful and should be sold all the year round. But two, in one sense, cream eggs or Easter eggs being sold all year round would be a sign that Easter and what it means and what Jesus did is not just for Easter, but is for all ways and all days. So we're going to remind ourselves today that Jesus is not just for Easter. There were things that Jesus did after his resurrection that are really important and they tell us what Jesus' priorities were, but more importantly, what his priorities still are today. And so simply this morning, we're going to walk through four uh, different times that Jesus appeared to people after his resurrection and see what it might be teaching us about Jesus. And so I want us to think about when Jesus appeared to the two people walking on the road to Emmaus, when he appeared to the disciples in the locked room, when he came back and appeared to Thomas, and then finally when he appeared uh, to Peter. And don't worry, there are four different things there, but it won't take as long as you think it might take, so don't worry. You'll still be home for lunch, it's all right. But anyway, the community service is until seven tonight, we've got loads of time, so it's fine. So let's look at the first one, the, the road to Emmaus. And, and Jesus appearing to these two people on the road to Emmaus, Emmaus shows us that Jesus is gentle. He is gentle with the brokenhearted. So picture the scene. It's been an awful weekend. Jesus has been crucified. Everyone who knew and loved Jesus is in shock and disbelief. People have been there celebrating the Passover in Jerusalem. And so we have this scene as two people are then walking back home discussing the events of the last few days. There would have been sadness, probably tears, disbelief, shock, that feeling deep in the pit of their stomachs of how awful this weekend had been. They would have been wondering what on earth was was going on with Jesus' body being missing from the tomb, what that really meant. And as all of that's going on, someone we know as Jesus appears and walks alongside them and their conversation was obviously intense because when we pick up the story in Luke, the visitor tells us this. So we read in Luke 24, he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard all the things that have happened there over the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. 
He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning. And they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time they were nearing Emmaus, and at the end of their journey Jesus acted as he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them, and as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognised him, and at that moment he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were back on their way to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. It's a great uh, account in scripture. So we know that one of them is clear, because the Bible tells us that, but the other person isn't named. But we can read in John that a a woman named Mary, who was the wife of Clopas, was at the cross with Jesus' mother. Even though John spells the name uh, Cleopas differently, this is still the same person, scholars believe. Many scholars believe that Cleopas was the brother of Joseph, so this would make Mary Jesus' auntie. So it's likely that, that it was this Mary who was walking home with Cleopas, so it's husband and wife walking home, having a conversation after everything that had happened. But because of who they were, it means they're close to Jesus. We're talking of family relations here. And I say all of this so that we can see the emotion that would have been going on in this scenario. Not only are they grieving for someone close to them, they're concerned for a family member. They're concerned for Mary, Jesus' mother. They're troubled and confused by the meaning of the empty tomb. Has he really risen from the dead? Their deep conversations they were having laced with emotion. And it's into that context that Jesus appears. But Jesus spoke to them wonderfully. He took time to explain everything to them. The way he stayed with them and had a meal. The way he broke bread and blessed it and shared it with them. Friends, Jesus was gentle with them. Here we have two people who are distraught. They're what we might call broken-hearted. And Jesus doesn't rush them. He doesn't dismiss them. He doesn't tell them to pull themselves together. But rather Jesus is gentle with them. This is after the resurrection. And Jesus continues his ministry by being gentle to those who are broken-hearted. He doesn't sigh. It's not like me when the, the kids come up to me and they, 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 they ask me something that I've explained to them I don't know how many times. I'm like, oh, well done, Kezia. That's not Jesus. Jesus just explains the whole of the scriptures 
what the prophets had said, what was happening to the Son of Man. He doesn't get exasperated because they should know all this stuff by now. You know, every time, every evening, we say to Reuben, can you close the blinds in the living room? And because of where the blinds are, and he's only little, he gets up on the, the stands on the furniture and he pulls the blinds. And every time he pulls the cord right out. And every time, every time, I say to him, Reuben, don't do that because you'll snap the cord. And it seems to go, I don't even think it goes in. They alone come out the other side. <coughs> and sometimes the way I say it to him, my wife just gives me, my wife's a primary school teacher, she gives me that look that says you weren't very gentle with your son. Just explain it nicely to him. The steam is coming out of my ears. My exasperation just expresses itself. That's not Jesus. He is wonderfully gentle with the brokenhearted. Secondly, Jesus appeared to the disciples, to those that have been with him throughout his ministry. And this visit shows us that Jesus brings peace to us when we're fearful. John tells us that during the evening of the resurrection, all the disciples were together, apart from Thomas. We read, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy. When they saw the Lord again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Friends, understandably, the disciples were scared. They were fearful. They had witnessed the way that Jesus had been arrested and crucified and how the Jewish leaders wanted none of Jesus' teaching mentioned ever again. And an easy way to make sure that that didn't happen is to go after the ones that were closest to Jesus. If you watch a, a good thriller on TV and, and there's somebody that wants to do harm to, to somebody, what do they often do? They go after the ones that they love. They go after their family, the people that they're close to, their friends. And this is where we find the disciples. They, they were so scared that they weren't only just in a, they were in a room, they locked the door. They were probably, you know, it's, it's that lock the door, hide, turn the lights off kind of thing, close all the windows, close the curtains, make sure nobody can see. Shh, somebody's coming. Just be quiet. We don't want to be found out. We don't want to be caught. And that's the situation that's going on. That Jesus appears to them and he sees their fear. It was palpable. It was probably a room where the fear was tangible in the way the disciples were acting, in the way they were speaking. And the first thing Jesus does is to bring them peace. He doesn't criticize them for not believing or understanding. He simply brings peace. And the peace that Jesus brings is himself. Think of the Bible passages we read at Christmas and what do we see Jesus is called? He's called the Prince of Peace. It's one of the names given to Jesus spoken in the prophecy in Isaiah. We read that Jesus is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Friends, Jesus is the leader who brings peace to our fearful situations. And on that resurrection evening, he brought amazing peace 
amazing, everlasting peace to his disciples. But one of them wasn't there. Thomas. Jesus then appears to Thomas. And in Jesus' appearing to Thomas, thirdly, he shows us that Jesus is kind to those who doubt. We all probably know the story of Thomas or doubting Thomas as he's, I think, a little bit unfairly known as. The evening of the resurrection, as we've just read, the disciples all together behind locked doors and Jesus appears to them, only Thomas isn't there. Obviously, by the time Thomas gets back from wherever it is that Thomas has been, Jesus has left. And so the disciples, when they see Thomas, tell him instantly what has happened. And Thomas says, no, don't believe that. No, 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 I'm not believing that unless I see it myself. Unless I see the wounds. Unless I experience all what you guys have experienced, I'm not going to believe it. I don't care that you're all saying it happened. I think, no, no, I don't believe it. We pick up the story. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Notice, eight days later, after Jesus has already brought them peace and said they don't need to be afraid, Jesus brings it again. The doors are still locked. You know, it says to me that, as a bit of a sidebar, that we're not just scared once. And Jesus says, peace be with you. You do not need to be afraid. Oh, okay, that's fine then. No, because we're human beings. And time and time again, Jesus keeps bringing us his peace. Keeps saying to us, it's okay, I am with you. Jesus keeps bringing that reassurance, as he did to the disciples. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God. Thomas exclaimed, he gets it. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Jesus knows that Thomas is going to struggle because he wasn't there when Jesus came last week. You know, it's a bit like if you you do something, if your kids have an experience, but only one of them is there, and then you get home and you tell the other one, they're a bit missed that they weren't there and they didn't experience it. Because that's what we're like as human beings. Oh, I wish I'd been there to, to see that. I wish, I wish I'd had some of that. And Jesus knows that. So, so eight days later, he comes back. He immediately draws alongside Thomas. He spends time with him so Thomas can see that it really is Jesus. Jesus could have chastised Thomas for not only not believing the disciples, but not believing Jesus when he had told them before his death what was going to happen. Yet instead of chastisement, Thomas gets kindness shown to him in his doubting. You know, Jesus knows it's been a, a terrible time for them. They've been on an emotional roller coaster, and Jesus understands human emotions and thoughts such as doubt. 
And Jesus doesn't belittle Thomas. He simply sidles up to him. He's kind to this man who is doubting that this could really have happened. Fourthly, Jesus appears to Peter. And this shows us that Jesus is merciful to us when we let him down. If you read the Gospels, you can see that Peter is getting a bit restless. Doesn't know doesn't know whether he's coming or going, doesn't know what to do with himself, and so he decides to do, to go back to what he's known, and that's fishing. Some of the other disciples go with him, and they're out all night, and they catch nothing. They're exhausted. It seems to sum up how they were feeling. Nothing was going right for them. Jesus, although they couldn't see it was Jesus, appears on the shore and gives them some fishing advice, and they follow that advice, and they catch the most fish they've ever caught. I'm sure that kind of gave them a bit of a boost that they needed in that moment. By the time they get to the shore, Jesus has cooked them some breakfast. I don't know if you like fish. Sorry if you're a vegetarian or, or, and you don't. But the thought, the smell of barbecued fish is just absolutely gorgeous on a beach. I love it. I absolutely love it. I did it once in a service, but it stunk the whole place out. I never did it again. But they come and Jesus has cooked them breakfast and they, they share this together. And I kind of imagine Jesus saying to Peter, let's come away from the others. Let's, let's go for a stroll. Let's go and sit over by there. And we pick up this conversation after breakfast. Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. And feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt and that Jesus asked the question. A third time he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him. As he had done three years ago, follow me. Follow me. The reality is that we all know Peter has let Jesus down. We know he's done it on more than one occasion. Peter might have been a bit sheepish around Jesus, maybe a bit embarrassed or maybe even a bit guilty. But Jesus simply speaks with him and shows him amazing mercy. Looking at the definition of mercy, we read, mercy is the compassionate treatment of those in distress, especially when it is in, with it, when it is in, within Sorry, I need to put my teeth in. Especially when it is within one's power to punish or harm them. The word mercy derives from the medieval Latin merced or meses, which means price paid. It has the connotation of forgiveness, benevolence and kindness. That is mercy. Jesus had the power to punish Peter. And to hold it against him that he had let him down. Peter was probably in distress. 
because of the way he had denied Jesus, the way he had let Jesus down. Yet Jesus doesn't lord this power over him. Even though uh, Peter would have been thinking, why on earth did I do that? Yet he shows him that in his death he has paid the price for what Peter did. For all the wrong that Peter had done towards Jesus. The mercy that Peter received would have spoken of forgiveness and of immense love to Peter. But Jesus goes further as he not only forgives but he fully restores Peter by commissioning him to do the work that Jesus would set before him. We can read on in the New Testament how Peter is the leader of the early church and preaches some 10 out of 10 sermons. Peter knew the merciful hand of God after Jesus' resurrection. So after Jesus rises from the dead, we see that his ministry doesn't stop. And he shows gentleness, peace, kindness and mercy to those he met after his resurrection. And you know, Easter has not finished, friends. And will not finish till Jesus comes again. For you, maybe you're feeling broken hearted by situations in life. Jesus doesn't tell you look, look, that, that you're wrong to feel like that. Instead, he draws alongside you and gently offers his hand to guide you through the season you're in. But it also reminds us to be people who are gentle with others. So we're not showing aggression in our words, but rather hearts of gentleness. Maybe something has happened in life and you're fearful. You're scared. Jesus invites you to come to him and to receive his peace. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom and it means complete. Jesus invites us to come to him to receive completeness. We read in Philippians 4, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done, then you will receive God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And we know that another translation says that this peace will transcend all understanding. In other words, the peace of God goes beyond anything else we could ever think of. Friends, he is the Prince of Peace. So so when we receive his peace into situations that are causing us to be fearful, we are receiving Jesus himself. We don't need to understand it, we just need to receive it and to allow the Prince of Jesus to be the antidote to our fear. And again, in turn, we are to be people who show peace to others. We are to be people who work for peace. And so we work to diffuse situations in relationships around us. Maybe because of life struggling to believe. You have doubts. Even though you don't admit it out loud. At the communion table, we often say, come all you who doubt. You see, the world can throw so much at us. Life can cause us to be doubtful. But know that when that happens, Jesus doesn't deal with you with harsh words, but with kindness. And are you known for being kind? Do you say kind words? Do you show kind acts? You know, the saying, a picture speaks a thousand words. Well, a kind act says so much more than we could ever say and finally 
Maybe you're sat here today and you, you feel a bit guilty. You've let Jesus down again. That sin that you keep coming back to, whatever it is, Jesus doesn't condemn you, but instead he shows you mercy. And if you will repent, he will restore you completely. And this causes us to ask ourselves, do we show mercy to others who hurt us or do something against us? Are we like the elephant in that we never ever forget? And we say things like, I'll be there for you until you cross me. Once you cross me, that's it, I'll cut you off at the legs, I don't want to know. We show love to someone. But once they do something to upset us, oh, we never forgive them. Or we say we do, but we don't, not really. We're told in Scripture that if we fail to forgive others, then we can't expect to be shown forgiveness. Forgive us our sins as we, in the doing of us, forgiving those who sin against us. It's a tough one, isn't it? (laughs) But we are to be people who are merciful, just as Jesus is merciful to us. It's not about whether they or we deserve it. Because the reality is, friends, nobody in this room deserves the mercy of God. So let's not be one to say, pick and choose, who deserve our mercy. As I was driving here this morning, a a delivery driver cut me up. And as he cut me up, he just pulled up in front of me, he put his hand out to say thank you, uh, but he couldn't look at me, uh, as if I'd flashed him to let him go. As, as I was driving here, as my hand reaches to beat the horn, I felt the Spirit of God say, what are you preaching on this morning? Are you showing mercy? Are you showing gentleness? Are you showing kindness? Are you showing peace? You see, this is where all of this comes into play. It's not in here. Or we can all do it in here. It's out there. It says you're driving home. It says you're waiting in line in in the shop tomorrow and somebody in front of you is just on their phone chatting to somebody and you're thinking, oh, for goodness sake, I've got somewhere to go. I've got coffee at 11. You know, that's when it hurts. When somebody does cut you up. When somebody doesn't let you out of a junction. All of those things. When somebody that you thought is close to, you hear they said something that's really caused you pain and hurt, and you think, well, that's it. I'm not having nothing to do with them again. Jesus shows us gentleness, peace, kindness, and mercy. Long after his resurrection. And the question is, friends, is will we do the same? Will we receive that? And in receiving it, pass it on in the way that we live. Friends, whatever you need, wherever you need something from the character, from the heart of Jesus, simply come to him now. May we truly know what we mean when we say we are Easter people. We are resurrected people. 
for the awesome work of Jesus didn't end at his resurrection, but it continued, and we are still walking in the wonderful ministry of Jesus today, over 2,000 years after his resurrection. May we know what Jesus' priorities are as we walk in relationship with him. May we know that the world, may we show the world that with Jesus, they too can experience, can know his priorities. They can know his gentleness, his peace, his mercy and his kindness. And when that happens, lives are transformed as the power of Easter continues to work in the world. Friends, does the power of Easter continue to work in your life on a daily basis? Allow it to, because Jesus is still at work. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the Easter weekend that we can celebrate, that we can remember, that we can give thanks. Father, forgive us when we then put it in a box for another year. May we daily see that we are in a season of Easter. As we see our priorities at work in our lives and in the lives of others and in the life of this, your world. Father, as we gather with you today, for those of us that need to know your gentleness, your peace, your mercy and your kindness into the situations that we are walking through day by day. May we see your priorities in our life. And may we in turn receive them and offer them to those that we meet. To the work of Easter, in one sense, we can see has only just begun. And may we know it more fully every single day. Bless you and thank you, Father. Amen. Let's respond to him now as we, we sing that great song. It's living hope. All of this says to us, all of what we thought of today, that because of Jesus we have a hope, but more than that, it's a living hope. A living hope means that it's active, that it's continuing. Because we live in the victory and priorities of Jesus. So, in your heart, in your mind, as we sing this, sing it as a prayer, as a proclamation, and bring your own thoughts, your own life to him. Where you need his gentleness, where you need his peace, where you need his mercy, where you need his kindness, invite him into those situations right now. And know that you will receive that in your life, because he is the living hope.